This is Dave Munn, co-author of A Practitioner's Guide to Account-Based Marketing, Accelerating Growth in Strategic Accounts, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which has been named by Forbes and LinkedIn, amongst others, as one of the top marketing podcasts. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since I get to read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message that you're a listener, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. All right, let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome Dave Munn back to talk about the second edition of the book he has co-authored with Bev Burgess, A Practitioner's Guide to Account-Based Marketing, Accelerating Growth in Strategic Accounts, published by Kogan Page. Dave Munn is president of ITSMA, a research-based community for B2B marketing leaders that pioneered the account-based marketing approach in the early 2000s. ITSMA is now a momentum group company. Prior to joining ITSMA in 1995, Dave held senior-level marketing positions with Oracle and Apple and was a senior analyst at the Ledgeway Group, which is now part of Gartner. He holds an MBA from Northwestern University's Kellogg School, where he concentrated in marketing and corporate strategy. And interesting fact, the only reason his lovely wife Jennifer married him is because on their first date, he mentioned having read Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises and that he had run with the bulls in Pamplona, Spain. Dave, congratulations on the second edition of A Practitioner's Guide to Account-Based Marketing, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Yeah, thanks, Douglas. It's great to be with you. Yeah, well, you know, whatever it takes to get these women to marry us, you know. uh, (laughs) And what's even more interesting, I've been married 30 years now. I'm still trying to impress my wife, and I don't know, you know, what's with that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I'm still trying to do the same thing. We're, you know, we're going on 27 years, and it's been a great run, and uh, we're going to keep the surprises coming. (laughs) Okay, but you haven't gone back to run with the bulls? No, no, I haven't. Our uh, our son has done it, so that's hopefully that'll be a tradition that continues, or at some point it stops. But uh huh. Well, when somebody does get hurt in your family doing that, it will be your fault. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'll take ownership. Absolutely. Okay, great. So. You are one of, I think, three Northwestern MBAs that I've interviewed on the show over the years, and I've also interviewed Dr. Philip Kotler three times. Yeah. And you, uh, Raleigh Keenan and Dan Gingas, none of you were in Philip Kotler's class. <laughs> and I just think that's interesting. Now, he may have been teaching a little bit less when you guys came through, but um, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, when you're the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, you keep track of really unimportant trivia like that. Yeah, it's, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I loved my experience at Kellogg, and, and one of the few disappointments I had was not being able to get into his class. Yeah, I heard it is kind of hard. But I do have a buddy I worked with in New York, uh, Andrew Simon, who uh, went off to uh, Kellogg, and he did get in the class, so it is possible. So some time ago, I received a copy of this book, and it's even autographed by you, and it included an ITSMA coffee mug, a very nice one, uh, you know, one of those thermal mugs with the mm-hmm. logo on there. Mm-hmm. Actually, with that logo, 
it actually makes the coffee taste better. <laughs> and so I, I, I followed up and I sent you emails and, and didn't hear back. I, I tried LinkedIn messages asking you to you know come back on the show and I and I never got a response. And that's okay, Dave, because I, I face rejection pretty much every day. And this was, you know, I, I'm used to it. But it started to remind me of that one scene from Platoon where the, the commander couldn't get the other guys on the radio. Three Alpha Six, if you can't talk, son, just key your handset twice, over. <laughs> so what I finally did is I reached out to uh, Jennifer, who's <laughs> who's playing a uh, supporting role in this whole episode, and she was able to get you know get your attention and get you on the show. So I, Jennifer, thank you very much. You know, uh, I, I, without you, <laughs> this wouldn't have happened. Now the book has many uh, endorsements, uh, including endorsements from some past marketing book podcast guests like uh, Lee Oden and mm-hmm. Malcolm McDonald, who I'm, I've interviewed uh, twice. And John Hall. And I should uh, mention, again, back to the trivia, this book has British spellings, uh, which helped to remind me that your uh, co-author, Bev, is British. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Kogan Page has made a breakthrough. When it's an American author without a British co-author, they do let them use American spellings now. So, But whenever I see uh, a British spelling in my mind, I pronounce it with a British accent. So, <laughs> yeah, I want to hear that. <laughs> I'll, I'll spare that. I, I don't want to lose all my uh, listeners in the UK by torturing their uh, their accents. So it's the second edition, and this week, as I always do on LinkedIn, I post a picture that I'm reading, and and a lot of listeners uh, weigh in and ask questions. And one listener, Torsten Hermann mm-hmm. from Frankfurt, Germany, of course, he asked, "Hey, Douglas, what's different about the second edition?" And before I could answer. Your co-author, Bev Burgess, jumped in and wrote, it has all new research and case studies, plus a new ABM adoption model. And she wrote, last but not least, three new members of the Magnificent Seven team of ABM rock stars giving advice, which is at the very end uh, of the book. And when I look on the Amazon page, it says this updated second edition contains further discussions on how ABM initiatives can go from a pilot to being embedded in a business, mm-hmm. uh, new material on uh, quantified value propositions and updated wider research. Anything else to, to add when people ask you that question? Yeah, so I, you've hit on the key things. The you know All those areas are really important. The adoption model that, that was referenced has to do with research that we did into uh, ABM leaders at 25 different companies and understanding the steps and stages they go through, the learnings uh, that they had to share with us. And that's something we've both put in the book, but also, you know, invested a lot of time and energy in helping companies on their ABM journey, because uh, there's a lot to going through those steps, the exploring, experimenting, expanding, and embedding it into the business. So that's a, a big eat. All the other things that you talked about um, include when you say research or when you mention research every year, and now we do uh, that research twice a year, but we um, survey senior executives at companies that are responsible for buying technology, consulting, and B2B related services. And we ask them lots of questions about how they want to engage, how they buy. Um, so we've updated all the research that we had had in the, the book uh, five years ago into uh, this latest book. So again, new research, new adoption models, new th- case studies from industry leaders, as well as a couple of new mag- Magnificent Seven ABMers. Yes, it's terrific. And I have to tell you that at least once a month, a, a listener from around the world will say, hey, Douglas, 
what, what's a book I could read about ABM? Do you, do you know of any books? I say, do I know any books? Here is the book <laughs> you need to read. And I send them a link to your yeah. interview from five years ago. Now I got a fresh link. So I, <laughs> I appreciate you uh, coming back on and the listeners appreciate it. So this really is such a, such a great book uh, about ABM. It's almost like I don't, I, I don't know. I, I haven't read that read that, that many others. This one was so uh, comprehensive. Although there are others out there that have written books about ABM, please, uh, please let me know. I want to read from uh, the forward of the book, just one quick thing from page 19, or for the listeners in Rome, that would be page XIX. <laughs> this book is for you if you have just heard the term ABM and want to find out more about it. It's for you if your company has asked you to look into ABM and set up a pilot program. And it's for you if you've been working in ABM for a while but want to keep yourself fresh and embed your program across your company. So then I want to go on to page one, actually. You write, the first part of this book describes what account-based marketing is, ABM, how and why it evolved, and how companies are using it to accelerate growth in their strategic accounts today. And for my friends uh, who were in the military, that we're not talking about anti-ballistic missiles. This is account-based mm-hmm. marketing. But if you could uh, talk about you know, what ABM is and, and how and why it's evolved and you know, how companies are using it to uh, accelerate growth, that would be a great starting point. And uh, I'm going to go get coffee. I'll be back in about 45 minutes to see how you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, excellent question. And, you know, there's a, a lot of different directions we can go with it. I, I think in the 20 years that we've been spending time working with companies and helping them develop, launch, grow, and, and build their ABM programs, um, you know, there's core principles that, that we've seen companies, you know, adopt or in some cases not adopt. But, you know, first and foremost, it's a, a corporate, um, corporate strategy to growing business with your most important accounts. We've mentioned that term a bunch of times, but it's not just another marketing tactic. Mm-hmm. Very important point you make in the right. book. And these could be existing or existing customers or prospects. Yeah, no, 100%. And it's, you know, that's another key element that a, a key tenant to successful ABM is prioritization. Selecting accounts that have the greatest growth potential and are the best fit for your company. Mm-hmm. Um, not just the logos and names that you want to have and, and that you want to sell them stuff. Um, both those factors are important. And so that's, a again, a key element of successful ABM programs. And, and we do. We see companies using it to, you know, both expand work that they're doing with existing companies and, and accounts, um, also to help um, to penetrate new organizations and start working with them and, you know, clearly moving beyond that, but it's more getting to know, building relationships, building trust, and over time, becoming a, a critical supplier and, and a partner uh, to companies that you want to work with. Now, on page six, you go into some of the economic, technological, and social trends that are driving the popularity of ABM. Could you talk about what some of those uh, forces are? What when we you know when we talk about those things you know again another critical tenant is not just marketing what you want to sell but marketing <laughs> you know to what is driving a company and so when you mention that you know that framework it's all about it's really important that you are marketing to what 
a company cares about and the individuals in that company care about. So understanding their position, um, you know, what their business objectives and business initiatives are based on the market they're in and what their company's all about. So it's that analysis, that insight that is so, so important that, you know, you know, good marketing is targeted marketing. Good ABM is going that next next step, that next mile. Um, I am clearly having a fire <laughs> drill right now. Oh, really? Okay. Which was not planned. Um, so, you know, if we can wait it out for a minute. Yeah. Or if not, or not, if not I, might, I might need to walk down the hallway. Okay. Well, we can uh, stop and then um, come back. I think... Yeah, I think it just stopped. Okay. Well, perhaps the fire alarm system knows that, you know, if you weren't willing to respond, it was just going to give <laughs> up quickly. Okay. And if it stops, if it starts again, get low to the ground and crawl towards the door. If the doorknob is hot, do not open the door. Enough about fire tips here. Well, it's, uh, one of the things I tell people, it's like the, the good news is I'm on the first floor. The bad news, I'm on the first floor without <laughs> windows that open. Okay. All right. Well, you know, but your middle name is Danger. Come on. You ran with the bulls <laughs> in uh, Pamplona. So, well, now there are, you know, I don't know if they're hidden benefits there, but there are benefits of ABM to companies Talk about the benefits to the clients or the benefits to sales. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because that's one of the, you know, one of the sections of our training and certification program when we we go through this and we also, you know, it's included in the book and we talk to companies about the benefits of, of sales is, you know, you're gaining a partner to work with and collaborate on tailoring marketing to the accounts that you're working with or want to work with. And the benefits to them personally are, you know, your help, you're, you're getting support, getting help and insight from professional marketers who can help you reach new executives, uh, build more strategic relationships, uh, provide as a, a company and as an individual more insight, knowledge, um, and bring ideas to help them with what they're trying to accomplish, and and ultimately, company to sales. You know, it leads to more sales, to more follow-on business, to better differentiation, uh, and relationships that will last a long, long time. Terrific. Well, I've got to believe that you run into misperceptions of what ABM is. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps on a daily basis. What are some of the ones that perhaps you encounter or that drive you crazy or that make you think you're taking crazy pills? It's uh, yeah, it's funny you mention that because we hear and see people using the term ABM all the time. The term has been hijacked in many ways. <laughs> and um, we, we hear about religious wars within companies of, well, that's not ABM. This is ABM. No, I, you know, that's, I don't believe that. No, this is what it's supposed to be. Um, and it's, and it's, uh, it's fascinating. It, it really is. So, you know, because of the, the growth in ABM, the investments that companies are pouring into it, the number of, of people moving into ABM roles, uh, that more and more people are adding it to their uh, their CVs and their resumes. More people are saying, oh, oh yeah, we have an ABM program. So that's, you know, there's lots of different opinions and different definitions. And, and something that was really important to us when, 
you know, both in the early days when we started working with companies, but also for in our in our book and in the certification classes, you know, is really talking about what are those core principles and, and what's different about a process-based approach, you know, that has foundational elements to be successful in it, that good marketing is still good marketing. Or marketing at some places, that's oh, that's good targeted marketing, but account-based marketing is still meant for um, a, a prioritized set of your most important accounts that you are doing work with and you want to work with. It's not for all your accounts. It's not all, everything that you do. And there are different levels of personalization uh, depending on, you know, if you're going marketing to, to one account, marketing to a cluster or group of accounts or, or one to many, so to speak. Right. Well, now, full disclosure, ABM is not right for every company. Right. So what are some of the indicators that ABM might make sense for a company? Yeah, and your point's a really good one for, you know, it depends on the business. Um, you know, some of the things that, that I'd say you can use ABM principles um, if you're marketing small, uh, lower-priced products or services. Um but as you move up the value chain and the complexity chain, you know, it's about companies that know and realize that there's uh, benefits to building long-term relationships, deepening broad and wide relationships with companies that you work with to increase growth, expand growth, and, and uh, differentiate yourself from competitors. So the, you know, those you know, those elements are really important, but also, do you have the right marketing talent um, and and personnel mm -hmm. that you'd need? Do you have buy-in at the right levels? Um, is there a strong relationship with the sales and the account management organization? I mean, we've seen ABM, you know, that will spring up in all parts of the organization. You know, very entrepreneurial people who would say, I want to adopt this. We're going to make this happen in our in our region, in our country, in our division, in our line of business, and and from that, you know, it becomes more pro professional, more uh, disciplined, more structure and governance put around it, and expand to the rest of the company. So it's you're hundred percent right. It's not right for everyone, um, and there's you know there's other elements too that I can touch on as well. You know, you talked about people's claiming to be doing ABM, and it reminds me of people who would put Growth Hacker on their LinkedIn profile. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I'm sure most know what they're doing, but I've, I've met a few. I know a few. And I want to say, yeah, have you read Hacking Growth <laughs> by Sean Ellis? Or, you know, what? How, how do I know that? And so anyway, it's like, I'm not going to ever say that, but it's sort of like, well, tell, tell me about which ABM books have you read. So anyway. But I, I, I don't want to get all it's, negative here. Yeah. Well, it's, well your, you know, your point's a good one. And that's something that, you know, a lot of companies who are hiring ABMers, they need to look at, you know, um, what's their experience? You know, who have they worked for? What did they actually do? You know, what was their role? Um, you know, have they been through any kind of training or certification? And if mm -hmm. so, what what training um, and what specific certification? Because all those things are, are are really important to understand. Because somebody can say that they've done it, or say that they know it, but but do they how to know how to bring it into a company? Do they know how to, you know, further an ABM program? 
maybe not. It's interesting. At the end of the book, you go into a fair amount of depth about some of the skills and capabilities that the most successful ABM folks have. And you even <laughs> mentioned there's a certain type of marketer, I guess you could call them a, a corporate marketer, or a few years back, they might have called them press release marketers. They really are well, not well suited to this type of thing. But let's go on. There's a one big thing that came through really clear in the book is that ABM generates the highest ROI of any B2B marketing program. So now you got to get it some time. So don't, it's not going to be 30, 60, 90 days, but uh, those that can play the long game are really succeeding. But Dave, if it's so successful, why isn't every company doing it or, or at least more of it? Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it's, you know, and again, those, that, those data points are taken from uh, benchmarking studies that we conduct every year. We partner with the ABM Leadership Alliance to get a broad mix of ITSMA clients, um, as well as as members of the ABM Leadership Alliance and, and their clients, and and so that data comes from you know those surveys, you know not just um, what is your ROI and how does it compare to other forms of marketing, you know, and those numbers are reached because it's it is the closest form of marketing. And again, it's the last mile that I touched on before that you know where significant difference can be made in growing in deepening relationships and in growing revenue cross-selling and upselling all those different things so you know those you know those studies are are incredibly helpful but you know there are plenty of mistakes there there are companies that have started abm programs and didn't have success and um bailed on the on the program and said well this doesn't work i i I bet it's just a bunch of hype. And it's <laughs> or, or the person I once heard at a chamber of commerce function saying, um, advertising doesn't work. We ran an ad once and nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And it's in ABM's case, you know, patience, um, careful planning. Um, you know, that's why when we talk about the four stages of, of ABM adoption, you know, the exploring is the analysis, How what makes sense for us, what type and types of ABM, what do we need to do to get all the foundational pieces in place uh, to make sure as we launch an ABM program, we start experimenting, piloting with ABM that we have all the right pieces in place to set the expectations of like anything else. This is a pilot program with a core set of accounts, key people. We have high visibility and we're working through learning how this is, you know, bu building that, that acceptance of the, the DNA in your company or building it over time and expanding it over time. Uh, because, you know, a lot of companies try to jump right in and we're going to do this for all our top hundred accounts. You know, they might not have the right people, the right programs, the right support within marketing, the right support within sales, or the right funding. Um, I can go on and on about those de details. So it's it's really it's, it's understanding that the process does take time. There's a a stat we'll use that you know maybe it's it's literally three years when you start seeing you know most and more of the full benefits of your investment in ABM. Sure, you can get some initial meetings, you can start progressing uh, new relationships and start getting invited to, to win on more 
business and start showing some of those results in you know the first three, six, nine, twelve months. But it's really as companies get it, they understand it, more people in the organization do that they start seeing this longer term benefits of the right levels of investment and support for ABM. Yes, and I think there's other benefits that start to happen. Maybe maybe uh, it's sort of baked in, but you probably start to see better sales and marketing alignment mm-hmm. once you start a program like this. Now, you mentioned the the four steps, uh, and I want to go into a little bit more about that because you know people may think, oh, it's like a light switch, I'm going to turn on. No, <laughs> there's actually, you all have uh, four stages which all start with an E. And I'd like you to talk a little bit more about that in terms of where companies are. They are exploring, experimenting, expanding, and then embedded. And most most are not at the very end. And these four stages, because I have issues, it reminded me of the stages of uh, grief, mm-hmm. uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. <laughs> and right. just so the listener knows – that was not in the book, okay? But right. could you talk about the exploring, experimenting, expanding, and embedded, and where most of the companies still are? In other words, you don't have to be perfect on day one here. Yeah, your um, your point's a, a good one. It's the, our latest benchmarking study uh, that we published in the latter part of, of 2021. You know, we asked that question. You know, we also, as part of that study, which is available up on our, our website, itsma.com, is um, we asked a question about where are you in these four stages? And clearly, we, we had definitions in there. And, and a lot of companies are still, you know, in the earlier stages, the exploring, experimenting, and, and expanding phases. You know, they're, you know, maybe one-fourth of the companies we surveyed are in the um, expanding and, and, and embedded phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe 10 or 15%. I, I forget the exact number in the embedded phase. And that's where it's truly part of the fabric of the business. It's understood by all parties involved about what it is, what it isn't. Uh, there's close collaboration within within marketing and also with sales. Um, and leadership understands how important a component it is to corporate growth uh, through most important accounts. So it's, you know, it, the journey can be faster for some companies than others, uh, but it's the realization of as companies get into it, it's knowing that there's a progressive steps and, and stages to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, some companies get to a certain step and say, we need to take a step backwards because we went too far in our expanding. We added too many accounts and, we're, and you know, we've, we've gone too far because we don't have the people, the resources, and the, you know, the, you know, the right uh, mix and collaboration to be successful. And, and we've seen some companies take one step back and then take two steps forward again. So it's not a straight line. And, you know, there isn't an exact formula, but that's why we developed the, the adoption model so people could see and understand what are those critical steps and hurdles to go through across seven dimensions of ABM program success. And there's literally 21 elements of success that we mm-hmm. outline. 
Yeah. And I would think that if a company says we need to take a step back, that shows a lot of self-awareness and understanding of what they need to do. The Those four stages, I think, are important for uh, someone who's leading this initiative to say, okay, boss, we're, we're going on a journey here. You know, this is going to, this is going to uh, take a while. Yeah. Um, so the, you mentioned the seven dimensions. I want to mention what they are. And ask you about it, uh, about two of them. But okay. uh, the seven dimensions to consider when building the foundations for your ABM program, and this is on page 28. Uh, one, deciding what you want to achieve <laughs> yep. with ABM yep. and right. how you will measure success. And we can talk a little bit about that. Number two is positioning ABM as a strategic business initiative and aligning it as such. I've got a question I want to ask you about that. Okay. Number three is segmenting and selecting accounts for ABM investment. Number four is devoting sufficient resources. Five is capturing data and developing new insights into accounts. Six Mm -hmm. is creating and deploying personalized content through integrated campaigns, and seven is leveraging the appropriate tools and technologies. And if it's okay, we I, I really don't want to go into that right you know, in this particular interview, but there's a very meaty chapter on the the tools and technology. And I I just say that because, you know, nobody loves tools and technologies and shiny objects more than marketers. And <laughs> we could spend <laughs> about 14 exactly. hours talking about that. But let me go back to um, something you, which was a uh, strategic business initiative, which we you, you talked about, but you write, the quickest way to go wrong with ABM is to position it as a marketing-led initiative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, why is it important for ABM not to be mistaken for just doing another, you know, marketing tactic? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. There's a couple different ways to look at it. I mean, one is is marketing is strategic in our mind. You know, can and needs to be and is. Uh, marketing contributes to growth, to reputation and relationship advancement. So, you know, if in an organization, it's seen as just, okay, this is another thing we're going to do, like social marketing, digital marketing. (laughs) Email marketing, yeah. Email marketing, uh, content marketing, and again, not belittling any of those terms. No, they all have a role in ABM. right? Right. And so, ABM, because it's, you know, it's to help grow and deepen relationships and business with your top accounts and and top accounts that you want to work with, you know, it needs strategic support within the company. So if marketing sees the opportunity, has the right skills, understands it, and wants to get support for it, it needs to make the, the case and build the case with senior leadership. And is that the division head? Is it the region head? Uh, is it the head of sales and one of those others that I mentioned are further up the chain? But it's a, to talk about what it is so people get what it is because ABM is very much a team sport. It's not just, you know, a marketer or a team of marketers doing stuff to accounts. Um, it, it requires a lot more than that, and you know, uh, and even some things that I haven't talked about yet. Yeah, talk about how you decide which accounts to go after, and that's just so interesting to me because I'll be talking to a, a prospect, let's say, and I'll ask, "Who are your most profitable customers, or what are your directions?" and they. They, they don't know how to think this through, and there's a part here I'm going to read, but how, what are some of the things that companies should be thinking about in terms of who they should go after? And obviously, the first is they could be existing or they could be prospects. So it's, a, you know, 
A um, couple different elements here. I mean, we, we talk a lot about using a, a framework or a model like the GE McKinsey matrix, mm -hmm. ultimately looking at where you have a set of accounts that you're doing business with, or it could be a set of prospects, but looking at, you know, what are those key el growth um, elements that you're looking for, for for a company? Are they growing? Are they the number one or two company in their industry? Uh, do they, you know, do they invest in the kinds of things that you offer and so on? There's a list of those things. And part of the model is, is going through a formal prioritization process to fleshing out you know, those companies that have the greatest growth potential for your company. But the second dimension is fit with your organization. You know, do you have the, the offerings? Do you have the capabilities? Do you have the relationships? Um, you know, is it, you know, I'll use the term realistic that this company would even be interested in doing business with you. You may want to do business with them, but again, do you have all those other things that they're looking for? Uh, the solutions, the people, the skills, the regional footprint, fill in the blank. Right. And that requires some honesty and humility on the part of the company. 100%. And it's, yeah. And it, and it's, you know, part of that is doing a, an honest analysis. I mean, it isn't, you know, one salesperson or region leader saying, hey, we're having problems in, in getting anybody to talk to us at these two companies. We need ABM. <laughs> right. right. Um, and, and so... Well, at least they knew know, to, they, right. they'd heard of ABM. That's, that's good. Right. right. <laughs> you know, awareness. Right. I just want to read these uh, couple things from page 66 because these are just invaluable. And even if, you know, the listener is a marketer and they're not doing ABM... Every marketer should ask these questions, which are, where have we sold most effectively in the past? Mm -hmm. Which kinds of accounts have proven most profitable over time? Mm -hmm. Which sub-industries do we work with today? What characteristics are most predictive of sales success? What attributes make for the best fit with our offerings? What mm -hmm. traits should rule out an account? In other words, bad fit. What kind of accounts play best to our unique strengths? In which accounts do we already have an advantage? What accounts deliver the most value? Just extremely valuable questions for any marketer to ask. And I think, frankly, if marketers uh, quietly got the answers to those questions, they would impress their management and their marketing would be much uh, more informed and, and, and important. So there's a bit of research that needs to go on, or it better <laughs> – <laughs> and you've got a big section in the book about where to go to get all the, the kinds of information that you need for research. But my favorite, which is just warms the cockles of my heart, is when you all talk about the importance of buyer personas. Um, can, so can you talk about the importance of you know buyer personas as well as interviewing your existing customers? That it, it was a great reminder in the book about how much customers actually might like being interviewed. It shows an interest in them. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'll talk about a couple of things. I, I won't go down the, you know, the deep, you know, buyer persona. And, uh, and, and I don't like saying the rabbit hole, but the, again, it's a, it's a great foundational approach to looking at, you know, how specific types of buyers 
by the process they go through for your type of solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's often confused with, with okay, you know, what are the titles we're going mark to market to or sell to? And there are different types of CFOs. There are different type of CIOs. There are different type of, of CEOs. Um, and buyer persona research, former researcher can help on that. But I... Um, but let me get back to your question. I mean, one of the most important things people need to, you know, think about, need to remember is, you know, we're talking about ABM. It, it you know, it should be, you know, IBM from a standpoint of individual-based marketing. When you've chosen the accounts um, that make the most sense for your business, have the greatest growth potential, you're marketing to individuals and people. And so, you know, whether it's a, a CFO um buyer persona you know one of two one of three it's still what's specific and unique about the cfo that you want to engage with that you want to advance and and deepen a relationship with what drives them who are their influencers what do they care about um you know who are the existing companies they work with and uh, you know what's on their their long-term um radar screen and 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 there's so many different ways to engage with people um, that working with sales closely to set, you know, what type of engagement does this person attend certain kinds of meetings and briefings? You know, what are some things that we need to know in marketing as we try to engage with them on the topics and the issues that matter to them? So it's a, you know, it's that personal based. I mean, each of these accounts that you're marketing to have individuals that you're marketing to and marketers need to over time, you know, build that ongoing and, um, and historical knowledge about preferences that they have for engagement and for interest in, in certain solutions and topics and, and so on. The more you know about your customer or prospective customer, uh, the more successful you'll be. And I like to remind folks, you don't have to know everything. You just have to be a little bit better yeah. uh, than, your, than your competition. It's just amazing. It's just like a, as Adele Ravella, Buyer Persona Institute, uh, oh, yeah. her book, oh, yeah. Buyer Personas, she, she yeah. talks about what an unfair advantage this gives you. And I've, I've experienced that firsthand. Now, there was another uh, you know, sales and marketing alignment or something that's very interesting to me. I just, maybe my secret ambition was to be a salesperson, (laughs) but I had to laugh on page 111 when you write, salespeople are notorious for knowing far more than they will ever document in a sales system or presentation. (laughs) That's an opportunity. Talk about the opportunity for marketers there. As you know, I spent time, you know, at Oracle and Apple in, in major account management roles. And I know exactly where that, where that comes from. I mean, the, you know, Sellers want to spend time with customers. You know, they want to engage with them and have conversations and 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 spend time with them. And so, documenting what every every bit of information that they've gathered, you know, it just takes time keeping them from advancing opportunities, advancing mm-hmm. relationships. So that's reality. You know, what's ex- so exciting about marketing these days is that with all the technologies and tools and as companies move down the path of integrating all these systems is that there's an incredible amount of intelligence that, that you know, marketing is going to put itself in a position of being the central nervous system of the company, knowing all about every interaction and engagement that 
uh, customer or prospect or, or client is having with your organization through the systems that you have and that you hope to have. So you could build upon that to be able to respond and, and engage and take the next step. And so for, you know, for salespeople, they are, you know, asking marketing for insight about people and accounts. How have they engaged? Mm-hmm. What are they interested in? Um, do we have any history about other ways that we can, um, that we can, um, connect with with individuals you know they're getting help with with new tools new approaches with new types of activities and events that can be offered to a client to engage so it's you know marketing has become closer to, to sales in most organizations um, become a, a more important and valuable resource to them from an information and insight standpoint and then a partner when it comes to, to ABM Mm-hmm. You know, marketers that get closer to sales uh, start to take on more marketing superpowers. And you write on there that the sales, the, like the account team, they're an untapped source of account information. Once you've done your basic background research, the next step is to interview the account or sales team to find out what they know. Account teams are usually very happy <laughs> to talk about what they know, but rarely willing to make the time to write it down. Buy some sandwiches and go see them. <laughs> Tell them you're yep. bringing lunch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's 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 uh, as simple as that. Well, let's go on to uh, another uh, topic that's uh, a little bit later in the book, and that's uh, value propositions. And in a recent interview on the show with Steve Harrison, who wrote uh, "Can't Sell, Won't Sell," he quoted mm-hmm. some research from the Fournays Group. Uh, about how, like, only they found at one point that only seventeen percent of marketers understood what value propositions are, which I found amazing. Yeah. And I want to quote from uh, page one forty four, which is simply a subtitle, but it's also a question, and ask mm-hmm. you to answer it. <laughs> Dave mm-hmm. Munn, what is a value proposition? <laughs> um, and that's a yeah. A- a part of the book. It's part of the. the There's a reason the you asked that through. question in the book. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, 100. percent Because the, you know, when you go through developing, we've seen lots of bad marketing copy, bad value propositions. I mean, they're meant to be specific. Hey, that's a book idea, Dave. <laughs> I agree. I agree. That's another one. I mean, yeah. I have a little side list for those. But the, yeah. you know, I mean, in in ABM parlance or at ABM situation, it's all about, you know. What is important to the client and how do you you develop words, language, a value proposition that you can bring to a client um, that's based on what they care about, how you can help them, you know, what are differences or differentiation between what you offer and someone else that's compelling enough so they respond to you. Um, and it's it's that relevance, that personalization that's specific to them. Uh, and in their role that that gets people going. So, you know, there's more formal definition, but that's the way I like to talk about it. And, you know, we take people through that process because, you know, in ABM, it's taking all those corporate white papers and research reports and activities and that ABMers with help, um, in some cases from from internal organizations to develop customized and tailored value propositions for the specific executives uh, that they're trying to reach with um, ways to, to engage with them and what they offer. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done around that area. Um, 
Absolutely. And and I'm not finished here, Dave. I want to keep beating this horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got me fired up. You write that there needs to be more science applied to the art of writing value propositions. Mm-hmm. And you write, it's it sounds simple in theory, but writing good value propositions takes more than command of the language. Mm-hmm. You see, they think it's just something a copywriter does? No, it's, you know, I mean, there's, you know, the art and science of, of marketing still exists. It's not, you know, there's not just science, but the, you know, what we've tried to do is put together examples, a templated approach, you know, to help people with structure about what's important, what's valuable in a value proposition. I mean, people still need to speak in human language. Um, and, you know, that's, uh, you know, the, you know, I've talked about before the bullfighter's guide to business. You know, why business people speak like idiots. Uh, Brian Fougere wrote this number of years ago. We had oh, I should look into that. Yeah, um, it's just it's a great, um, it's a great book. It really gets gets at it because, you know, at the time Deloitte developed a tool to analyze language in in um, proposals for the company and and it was an astounding percentage of words that didn't mean anything that were the okay let's pick this superfluous word and throw it into our our proposal like next generation uh, or state of the art yeah, just being you know it's just it's uh you know it's 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 like a drinking game you know it just i mean you wouldn't last 30 minutes well, so, some some marketing book podcast listeners might be able to last a little bit more than that, but I, I'm right. with you. Yeah, David Merriman Scott refers to it as gobbledygook. He's written a whole right. manifesto yeah. about this issue. <laughs> Again, there's a whole chapter on value propositions, but I wanted to jump to one part about you know the importance of differentiation yeah. in your value proposition. Right. And on um, page 159, you write, to be successful, value propositions must express why the company's product services or solutions are superior to those of the competition. What makes the company's offer unique? Differentiation is one of marketing's greatest challenges. It's in the top mm-hmm. five priorities every year since uh, ITSMA's, since 2013, uh, yeah. in, your, in your annual marketing budget and trends survey. Yeah. Well, Dave, why is it so hard for companies to articulate their differentiation? Yeah, and yeah, a couple couple quick points. Our latest uh, survey with marketing leaders uh, that we've we haven't published yet, but we've talked about in a recent podcast—not a podcast, but a uh, webcast for our members. Um, you know, brand differentiation was another a top five uh, priority and business objective for marketing leaders. But you know, why is it so hard? You know, there's a you know one of my uh, one of the books that. I read years and years ago from um, from Reese and Trout called Differentiation talks about people don't buy, they choose. And that's you know probably the only line I remember of the book and, and not to belittle what's in there, but it's, you know, that gets at differentiation. You know, people choose between, you know, multiple alternatives. And, and uh, you know, in so many industries, uh, buyers have lots of choices. And they're going to look at what's important to us, what do we we need, and when a company, you know, pitches their value proposition and what's what's strong, what's unique, what's different about their 
um, their offering, their product, their solution, um, they're going to look at things that are important to us. Does it meet our needs? So getting back to, to your question, there's lots of people that have differentiation by degree. Very few truly have unique differentiation. So if you're saying we have a footprint all over the globe, we you know, have, we're the biggest, we're growing the fastest. You know, those are things that, okay, it's helpful that you're in business and you're not in jail, but, you know, there's so much more to truly look at what are our unique or differentiate differentiators by degree. And, you know, being realistic, using real language to the things that matter um, to, to an account, um, to an individual, to at least, build enough credibility to get you in the in the room so to speak for a conversation to be able to share with them more examples of how you've worked with other companies like them to solve business problems or uh, fill in the blank um, but it's it's a it's really interesting that uh, you know companies just use some of those you know tick box <laughs> comments to you know say oh this is why you should choose us and you know they those rarely work yeah there was a, a book on the show not too long ago by mike mccallowitz called get different mm-hmm. and it was of course it drilled down into this one topic and he writes about how different beats better mm-hmm. and it was a real interesting exploration of, of just this one idea so there's of course Many books written about uh, various things that are covered in in yours. I want to jump towards the end uh, and talk about the importance of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I always caution marketers to be careful using that word with civilians. And by civilians, I mean people outside the marketing department because they might not know it. But this is another one of the, like buyer personas and storytelling are one of those superpowers. And this is on page one seventy six for those mm-hmm. playing the home game. You're right. Whatever forms of content you are creating, remember that the human brain is wired to listen for stories. If you use storytelling techniques in your content, you increase the chances that it will be seen or heard by your target audience. Stories Mm -hmm. reach three distinct parts of the human brain and directly connect to our instincts, our emotions, and our higher order rational thinking. Over thousands of years of evolution, our brains have been wired to communicate in this way. Mm-hmm. Stories resonate with us. An mm-hmm. increasing number of organizations having observed the effectiveness of storytelling in B2C now deploy the techniques in B2B marketing. Now, I've read a number of books uh, about storytelling, and I, some of them um, are I, I just didn't completely understand or you know uh, is it Joseph Campbell's uh, the monomyth he talks about the 17 or the 29 elements of a story and it's just a little bit you know overwhelming or you know perhaps uh, like uh, me like uh, Forrest Gump I'm not a smart man but you in this book uh, clarify really just three things you need to have to tell a story I was wondering if you could talk about that you uh, it's, it's a plot a story or like a narrative arc yep. and then the cast of characters and predetermined roles. Can you just talk briefly about that? Because it, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one, but it, the more that people can demystify storytelling, uh, the more effectively it can be used. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, and it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, a lot of people are excited about it, get excited about it and 
and are challenged by putting it into practice and, you know, developing the right approach to it in their business. Um, you know, some get too technical, some don't go far enough. It's, you know, it is a unique skill. It's, you know, developable, a bull, <laughs> if you will. So, you know, the plot has to be, you know, is, has all to do with, you know, really looking at the position and the situation that the company that you want to work with is in, you know, what they're living, what they're going through, what the challenges they have, and, you know, walking them through and developing a story that, you know, involves you and involves them in why you're the right partner for them. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's getting them, you know, both, you know, yes, this is real, that if there are things that we don't do, that it could impact our business, it could impact our growth, it could impact our future uh, and the employees that we have in our company. And, you know, what is that, you know, what are those connecting points, the, you know, the plot, the key, um, key challenges that an organization has and building that into a, you know, a storyline where you've done this before. Um, here's how you work with companies um, and through the, the products and services, help them, you know, beat the, the arch nemesis, um, overcome, you know, some of the challenges that have come together to, you know, in a unified way with you to, you know, to, to, uh, you know, paint this picture where, you know, you're helping, you know, solve their problems and, and you're the people that they want to do it with because of that experience, your knowledge that you get them, that you know them. And, and um, and you know, we've seen companies and there's some examples in the book too of companies that invested, have invested in going through this process and work with um, outside agencies and creatives and sales and marketing and, you know, there could be bid teams to come up with, you know, what is our story and what are the, you know, and how are we going to take people through, you know, why working with us is going to be better than someone else who might have a better technical issue or might be um, more expensive or less expensive, but um, it's, uh, it's pretty neat in practice it's, and, and it's working. It, it really is very powerful, and I can just think back over all the case studies you you read all over the place, particularly when somebody's trying to sell to you, and it'll say, um, and I'm, I'm I'm exaggerating here, but it'll say, uh, uh, company X Y Z had this problem. Uh, our company uh, sold this solution to them. Company X Y Z uh, was able to increase revenues. Well, instead, they could focus on the person whose problem this was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> at the company yeah. and what their frustrations were, where the friction was and why there was some urgency to get the problem solved. And then the the journey they went on and then what the, the results were, maybe sprinkle in a little bit of emotion with almost the same amount of copy <laughs> as the original right. case study. And it's just, it, it, it really works uh, so much better. Even a product sheet, instead of saying, <laughs> this is our product, you could maybe feature one of the customers who had a problem. They tested out that product and uh, the happy ending. So yeah. I'm not saying I'm a storytelling expert, but there's just there's there's small ways that companies can start to to test this out. And even in the sales process, there was a great book on the show a few years back by Paul Smith called Sell with a Story. Mm -hmm. It beautifully showed I think it had like 20 or so stories that every salesperson should have. In other words, it 
they didn't tell you the story, but they said, you know, the founder story or, you know, all the different types of stories based on your individual business and why it works uh, so much better. So I appreciate you all putting that in there. Let me just jump ahead to just a couple other things before we wrap up. Yeah. Uh, you know, you talk about the importance of objectives and metrics, and we touched on that earlier when I mentioned those um, those seven uh, elements. You talk about ABM metrics should cover three categories, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they all start with an R. I see what you did there. Relationships, reputation, and revenues. Can you just talk a little bit about those three things? Because normally, it's all about the revenues, right? Uh, yeah, no, 100%. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a really important part of the process of what are we trying to accomplish with, with ABM and, you know, what are the accounts we're going to choose? But you're 100% right. I mean, there, there can be, across those three R's, um, companies should think about all three and, and lay out, you know, what are those, you know, what are we trying to accomplish with the set of accounts we're going to use ABM for um, to help grow and build and enhance and improve our reputation because uh, that may be something that's keeping you from selling at a higher level or selling some of the, the solutions that you have. Um, so reputation is something that companies do track. Do they track it at the account level? Sometimes. Um, you know, it's something we will help companies with. So reputation is really, really important. If you look at an individual account, your reputation may be keeping you from being successful. So you need to, to focus on ABM things, ABM activities that will help, um, you know, change how you're perceived in a company to get an opportunity to market and sell new and different types of solutions. So, you know, reputation is, is really important to track and measure and to understand that that's, you know, one of the components of successful ABM. Uh, relationships. You know, you can't get a relationship without, you know, at least getting someone interested in, in who you are and other companies that you work with like them that, that you can, that you've worked with. So establishing relationships, people need to track those because, you know, without reputation, without relationships, you know, you're not going to get to revenue. So everybody wants to get to, to revenue. People want to get right after it and, and shortchange things. And through a quick offer, you know, one mailing, as we talked about before, you know, one, one advertisement um, to get to, to revenue. And so it's realizing that when you're marketing to accounts and, and, you know, many or existing accounts or other ones, there's a process and there's time. And through good marketing and good teamwork, um, you know, the process to get to revenue can be, can be quicker and, sh- and shorter uh, than other cases, but all three are really important. And, you know, that's why we recommend all three into, into to thinking about considering and tracking those metrics as a part of any ABM program or activity that you have. Right. And Jennifer didn't marry you, even in despite the fact that your first date was really interesting, there was still a process, you know, mm-hmm. she didn't marry you right away. And you, you had to go through a few other things. But I also found it interesting in the book, you talk about how much the C-suite appreciates being educated about these kinds of things. And when you go in and show... Yeah these are the kinds of things we need to be measuring. They're thinking, oh, oh, okay, I, I get it. I see how one leads to the other. So the, the last thing I wanted to ask about uh, had to do with, again, my one of my favorite topics, you know, working with sales, integrating sales and marketing. And I want to quote from uh, page 196. You write, 
regardless of how impressive your ABM plan for an account is, remember that it's just a piece of paper until you execute it. There is no magic here. It all comes down to excellent project management, collaboration, and implementation. And you go on to write, ITSMA research shows that the fourth biggest challenge marketers face is educating sales on the process and value of ABM. And then further down the list of challenges is getting sales buy-in for ABM. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. how well aligned our marketing and sales today based on your experience and research? There's still a divide, but it's getting closer um, that, you know, I made a comment earlier that that sales organizations, um, senior sales executives see and are seeing, you know, more value, new value um, that marketing is bringing to the table. They're learning from each other and, and realizing, especially when it comes to ABM, you know, you know, in, in sales groups that I've spoken to before, I said, you know, if, if you have an opportunity to have an ABM person or an ABM team support the accounts you work with, jump at the chance. You're going to need to invest a little bit of time, but we're not talking about days and days and days of time, you're investing time in your own success and your own account success. Uh, and that's a good thing to do. And it's an important thing to do and valuable to, you know, you're educating them on your accounts. They're educating on you and the kinds of marketing activities, ABM activities that can help, you know, get to certain executives or, or expand, you know, their role and participation in activities and decision-making that you have. So it's a, you know, it's, it is a learning process. Um, you know, we'll see some um, ABM program account selections also include looking at, you know, you know, we want to work with collaborative salespeople. We want to work with those people because we can't do ABM in a bubble, in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need that involvement from sales, especially when it comes to, to one-to-one ABM and, and even some of the one-to-few efforts. So it's a good thing to sales. You know, I tell them, take jump at the chance to do it, but you got to invest some time in it. And again, back to the research, there's one uh, chart here that shows... Uh, uh, plan uh, program effectiveness, mm-hmm. and the headline is the most effective AVM programs align more with sales. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not just making this up. Well, uh, it, you know, at the end of the book, there's even a, a, a chapter on um, managing your ABM career, and uh, I think it was on page uh, 259 or so. You talk about how to ABMers stay fresh and avoid burnout and how to invest in continuous professional development. I just, I just had an idea. I don't need an answer right now. But you know, both of those things, not burning out, staying fresh, investing in professional development, if you could just mention the Marketing Book Podcast in the third edition, you know, I'd, I'd appreciate it. I you know, don't need an answer right away, but just something for you and Bev to think about. So, Dave, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? You know, it's when when you ask this question, it it is hard to come up to with one thing. It's one of the most unfair um, questions in I, all of podcast land. I'd say it's you know one thing. Well, hopefully we've talked about some of them. No, no, but I, you know, I I focus on the the aspect that ABM works. You know, we've seen an incredible amount of success with it. Mm-hmm. But as I pointed out before, it requires patience. You know, senior sponsorship collaboration within the company, both with, with sales and, and with marketing, and it 
and it requires a long-term commitment and not just a focus on short-term revenue generation. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that message for a sales leader, a business leader, a marketing leader, you know, it's knowing going into it, all those things. There's all sorts of other recommendations, but it ABM works and it's working and it's helping companies grow their business with their most important accounts. Ah, uh, well said. And it actually brings to mind a cartoon I saw recently that showed these two, uh, shows a caveman with a a cart and it's being pulled by the ox and it has square uh, wheels on it. And it's just, they're just pushing it along on the ground. Another person comes up to them and is offering a round wheel. And the guys pushing the cart say, no, 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 we don't have time to put that on. <laughs> is is that a, a BC comic? By Could be, chance? yeah. I'll see if I All can right. find it and include it in your show right. notes. But it's yeah. like it was such a great cartoon for. Yeah, I understand. I was just talking to a company this week. Like, no, no, no we need we need leads right now, right now. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, I hope you're around in in two or three years. Well, what's one thing a listener could do today just to get them taking some action and uh, putting in practice one of the ideas from the book or that we we've talked about. Yeah, it's, and, and on that front, I mean, it it's you know it does depend on the perspective of the the listener, perspective of of the reader. You know, are you a business leader, sales leader, ABM leader, or potential ABM marketer? And you know, my comment will be the reason why the words practitioner guide is part of the book is that you know is meant to be a guide, a resource that you know that people can because of those sections that you talked about, you know, people can use it for ideas, for advice, for guidance, for, you know, highlights. You know, they, you know, they don't have to go through the entire book. It's more of, you know, what will help me understand what is this ABM thing? Or from my perspective, what's important to help make this work if I'm a business leader and I'm hiring an ABM to do it? You know, what are those things that somebody getting into ABM? Because a lot of people are, are invited to or told, you know, we want you to move into an ABM role. And, and like anything, you want to know well, what's this all about and how mm-hmm. can I prepare myself to be successful? So it's, um, you know, that's, you know, um, you know, that idea, if you will, is something that think about it that way. Um, not that you have to read everything to get to the, you know, the climax at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Well, are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? Yeah, there's, um, there are a couple. It's, uh, you know, um, you know, a fairly recent one. I mean, you had you had talked about the science of of decision making. Um, this is one that that I know you know about, Dr. Carmen Simon's book, "Impossible to Ignore," and that's oh, a yeah. couple, but it's outstanding. Um, that's a fairly recent one. But but two of the other more recent ones that I'm looking forward to reading. Uh, Jonathan Kapolsky is the author of the Transformation Myth. Um, he's co-authored that with a couple of others. He's a regular collaborator with us. Um, but a lot of it talks about digital transformation and the transformation myth and, and those issues and, and hurdles that people run into. But it's a lot has gone into that. And another one I'm really excited to get into is uh, uh, from John Della Volpe, um, who is a 
you know, leads the Institute for Politics at Harvard, does a lot of polling, but he's, he's come out with a new book about Gen Zers. When you think about the next wave of business leaders, and it's all about understanding them, it's called Fight, How Gen Z is Channeling Their Fear and Passion to Save America. Oh, Interesting. Yeah. And the transformation myth, too. I didn't know about either of those. Now, Carmen Simon, she was a past guest a few yes. years ago. I'll make yes. sure to include a link on your episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com to her interview. But I appreciate you mentioning that. So, like I said, uh, all these books, all the books that have been mentioned uh, and all the links to uh, ITSMA and uh, to uh, Dave's uh, LinkedIn profile and his, and his Twitter account, they're all going to be included in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And part of the reason we're going to include links to Dave's uh, website and Twitter account, LinkedIn profile, is so that you, the listener, will do me a big favor and reach out to Dave. Shoot, reach out to Bev too. And thank Dave for being a guest on the Marketing Book Podcast. If there is a third edition of this book, he's still going to be deciding whether he wants to come on again. And if he hears from a lot of you, you know, he'll he'll think, okay, yeah, maybe it was worth my while to to talk to those guys. But in, in all seriousness, the authors just love hearing from listeners uh, who who listen to the interview. And if you have a question for Dave or he can point you in the right direction, please reach out to him. If nothing else, just say congratulations on the book and thanks for being on that Knuckleheads podcast. I appreciate you doing most of the talking, Dave. So, you know, something like that. Also, if you're listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. The book is a practitioner's guide to account-based marketing, accelerating growth in strategic accounts, second edition. The authors are Bev Burgess and Dave Munn. Dave, thank you very much for returning to the Marketing Book Podcast. Douglas, this has been great. It was so good to be with you again. Enjoyed the discussion, as you said. I'd love to hear from anyone listening and uh, happy to help in, in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of what you've been doing, what all the books that you cover. I mean, I've scribbled down notes on multiple books that I haven't read yet that you reference and can't wait to, to devour them. Well, great. Well, now it was five years since I last interviewed you, so I'm going to go ahead and pencil you in for five years from now, unless you and Bev have another book uh, before then, okay? That's a great plan. I love it. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, please let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I'll drop it in the mail. And remember the words of the entrepreneur, author, and motivational speaker Jim Rohn who said, Formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. <laughs>